Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. Please also consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to our next topic. Well, Zach, as you guys know, I got to run to the airport pretty soon, so let's get rolling and then cool. uh, and we, can, we can get this one knocked out. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're up, we're rolling, so we can get moving. All right, hey guys, we got Mark. Mark, how, did you say Stroh or Strau? How Strau. Strau, okay. Yeah. So where, where are you at, Mark? Where are you? Where are you? I am in Arkansas. I'm in the Northwest. Uh, Man, I was going to guess you sound like you're from Arkansas. Yeah, I got that, <laughs> got that Southern draw here a little bit. Yeah, yeah I live in, I lived in Texas place. for 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 a long time, so you know I was right next door to Arkansas, so I had to get some good buddies from Arkansas. So. Anyway, Mark, it's interesting. It's good to have you on. I've been wanting to get you on for a while. I mean, we got so many so many great guests that want to get on here, and it's always nice to get people that are you know not only well i mean you've got a couple of things you know i know you're you're big into the the high intensity training we've had a couple of folks on like uh that, that have discussed that we can get into that a little yes. bit more but also you just got this really interesting story about rheumatoid arthritis that you sort of basically either put into remission or gotten rid of or however you want to call it absolutely not yeah. buggy anymore which is it's not, yeah, it's gone. that's the bottom line however we want to call yes. that and so yeah let's uh um you guys still hear me okay? Yep. Perfect. Yeah, okay. Perfect. Yeah, I got some kind of crazy uh, update going on. <laughs> What's going on with this? But uh, anyway, so yeah, so let's let's get a little bit of quick little say hi to folks. Let them know who you are, what, what you're up to, and then we can get into some of the, some of the interesting stuff. Yeah, okay. I, I live, of course, we just talked about it in Arkansas, and uh, I'm a high-intensity uh, trainer. That's kind of the mode of Arthur Jones. I was a, a rep. Uh, and trainer with Nautilus uh, and Bowflex for, oh, since about 94, and I left them in 2009. Uh, There were some issues I had with uh, some of the the, the way the products were going later on, and so uh, we we parted the place. But the the Arthur Jones, Mike Mincer, that was kind of my background in the training side of this. I was a lifter in college, and uh, actually that was my first foray into – Carnivore eating. One of my heroes was uh, Vince Gironda and Mr. Steak and Eggs. And um, that was where I, you know, first ventured into it and loved it. Of course, you know, my uh, college uh, trainers, um, the coaches and some teachers that were aware of it were thoroughly convinced I was going to die without my healthy whole grains and my, you know, my essential carbohydrates. Uh, just joking a little bit on that, but anyway, you know, so after that, I, I had to kind of stop because they thought I needed pasta and protein and all that, and you know, a lot of vegetables. So, uh, got back into that. And when I graduated college, I went into management at the world's largest uh meat producing uh facility that would be Tyson Foods, and I was there for about six years, and that was a great place to be a carnivore. Uh, although chicken wasn't my number one thing I like to eat, but it, it we also had a beef side too. Uh, so we did that. Then I met my wife and she was not, I wouldn't call her a strict vegetarian, but she was not a meat person. And uh, so that's when I got eating a lot of vegetables. And, uh, at this time, late nineties, early two thousands, I wasn't aware of any kind of problem with it, with the rheumatoid arthritis at all. Um, it was later on when I started getting some joint issues in my hands, 
Uh, my knees were aching more. And after a workout, it was horrible. Also, I'm, I, I uh, teach martial arts. I've been in martial arts uh, in a few months. It'll be 40 years I've been into martial arts. So I was blaming the pain in, in my hands from when I was younger. And we did a lot of breaking and, you know, stuff like that that I, I wouldn't necessarily advise everybody to be doing. Probably not the, the best thing for your hands. So I was blaming a lot of that on there. I had several boxing fractures in my hands and those, you know, create problems. So I was just blaming all the inflammation of the pain in there. And when you do grappling, especially if you do uh, gi grappling, we do a lot of no gi grappling, but when we do especially the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I noticed rolling on the ground. I was supposed to say probably in the mid 2000s. When you grab a lapel, you know, you got a grasp here my hands would just give out. I mean, it was just like, I can't hold, I can't grasp very good. And it was getting really difficult to do different, like an Ezekiel choke, different things like that. You, I just couldn't have any grasp. So that's when I knew there was probably something more going on than just injuries from the past. Uh, I went to my local doctor and uh, he said, I think you have rheumatoid arthritis. And I said, well, I, I don't think I do. Of course, you know, I, I knew, knew more than him. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. I just thought, hey, I'm in denial here. I said, that runs my family, but it's all pretty much on the female sides that have any trouble with that. I, I don't know of any of my cousins that are guys that have that. So I thought, he said, well, that doesn't really matter. I said, it, it's more prevalent maybe in, in, on that, but you, you can have it too. And so I kind of let that set for a while and it just progressively got worse. So I kept trying everything. I was trying um, every supplement in the world and I, at my studio, I do have a, a health food store and I don't know, I, I'm the world's worst health food supplement salesman. You probably understand why, but if somebody needs it, it's great. But I think we, we should look and we get to that later. I think we should look at uh, maybe plants more as a medicinal effect. If somebody needs something, if somebody's got a joint issue, that might be something great for them. So I was trying glucosamine sulfate. I was trying MSM, other natural inflammatories. I didn't get any help. Um, so my doctor sent me to a specialist and I went to a specialist and he said, yeah, he said, you have rheumatoid arthritis. He said, you have like a crippling form of this. Um, I think I was probably in my mid thirties. So that's been almost 15 years ago. Uh, he said that if, if I don't take the medication, uh, different things like that, he said, you could be, end up being uh, crippled, uh, by the time you're in your mid fifties and surely by the time you're in sixties. And that's not what I was wanting to hear, obviously. So again, I took a deep dive in any kind of therapies and natural or whatever. And I did not do any of the medications. Everyone wanted me to take Suladac, uh, some other anti-inflammatories and um, different uh, shots and stuff. I, I didn't do any of those. Um, eventually it got much, much worse. And one of my hobbies uh, is combat pistol shooting. And if you know anything about the shooting, when you, you got to drop a mag, you have a mag release on the side of the gun, you got to be able to hit that with your thumb and drop it so you can do a reload. It takes a lot of finger mobility, a lot of dexterity. It didn't get serious with me until I couldn't drop a mag out of my pistol. And I even modified my pistols uh, with uh, different mag releases. It made it better, but I was at the point, I couldn't even manipulate a simple task. And I was also noticing the fingers were starting to get the, the bending and the curling. And... I thought I have got to do something. So I had explored different options of eating. I had even went on a um, more of a vegetarian side. I even thought, well, let's do it, get away from all the meat. Let's try that. It got much worse, much, much, much worse. Um, I went into more of a paleolithic type eating to get rid of some of, some of that. I can't tell much difference 
when I went ketogenic, I could tell some difference. Uh, that's, that's when I, I could see a little bit of a difference. And then I noticed something when I would fast and I, I would, I would, I would fast as, as a Christian. It's in our, it's in our faith. I don't think many, many uh, practice that anymore, but uh, I would do some fasting. But when I would fast about three days, my pain and my inflammation would be gone. And I could take a ring. I have a ring right here. I could take that easily on and off. No problems. Um, I would eat. And within six to 12 hours, many times, no more than 24 hours, the pain, the inflammation was boom. It's right back. So I thought, well, that's great. I can fast for the rest of my life. That's going to be wonderful. So I knew that wasn't going to work. Um, so I would only get relief while I'm fasting on that third day. Uh, to fourth day or fifth day, and I, that was usually, you know, the end of my fast. Um, then the book, The Plant Paradox, came out, and I thought that may be the connection. And about the same time that happened, uh, my friend Lawrence Neal, corporate warriors, had this weirdo guy from America that ate only meat. You know, I don't know who that guy was. Was that Dr. Baker, maybe? And I thought, wow, okay, this is all coming together at at the time I'm I'm looking for an answer, and I had already tightened my ketogenic way of eating where I was 90% or more carnivore. The only thing I was eating, I think this blows most people away when they, they hear this. The, the most I was eating, I was eating a small amount. I'm talking about less than one, maybe two servings a week of either asparagus, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, or green beans. That was it. And I still didn't get any better results being that extreme keto to the edge of carnivore. And Dr. Baker was having the, was it, what would we call that? The world carnivore challenge. Yeah. World carnivore month in January, which we're going to have again coming up this January. So absolutely. do it. Everybody needs to do it. So I talked to my wife and again, she's not much on meat. She'll eat a little bit of chicken. And, and anyway, I said, what do you think about this? This is probably in November of last year. She says, I think do it. Give it a try. So I'm going to do it too. And I thought, well, okay, I'll see if she does it. Yeah, she did it and she loves it too. And it's actually helped her in many different ways. She had IBS problems and other things where she was taking loads of fiber, taking all kinds of uh, supplements for that. She takes none of those now. She's perfect. But anyway, that's, that was where it all came from. That's my background was, was that. And everything changed from that point on. Mark, let me just, um, because you are a guy that, you know, obviously was in tune with your health, wasn't eating, you know, garbage throughout no. your life. I mean, you're a healthy guy working out, uh, you know, eating what would have most people would have considered a healthy diet, you know, for years. And, and despite yeah. that, you still developed this crippling autoimmune disease, which we call rheumatoid arthritis. Um, where, what kind of, I mean, when you're, I guess you went to a rheumatologist, it sounds like, and, and what kind of things did he do to diagnose that? You know, I know there's serologic markers they typically do. There's x-rays that sometimes can be done. Those things I assume were being done, or you can confirm that. And then, um, and let's get into what's going on now since you went carnivore. Okay, where I went, I, I went to uh, a doctor in Fayetteville. He was a specialist. Uh, he was actually a, uh, especially was in, Hand, um, I, I, my, my words tell me, and he was, he was looking at the hands and joints. They did a, uh, they pulled some fluid out. They did a, did a test. They did x-rays. Uh, another thing uh, that was happening at this time, too, I was having nodules 
through my hands. I only have one left. All of these have went away. I had these little nodules all over my hands and everywhere. So he was looking at those and he said, you know, we could do a surgery on that. But uh, he was just saying from all the tests, x-rays and everything, that it shows that you have a, a, a crippling form of the rheumatoid arthritis. And I do have, which he said a lot of times you will have other autoimmune conditions. And of course, I didn't even think of that so much. Uh, but I have uh, a case of psoriasis, very mild. I don't have the kind where it's just scaly. And I always say it's when I'm stressed, I'll start getting, you know, right here on my elbow, I'll start getting the redness and stuff like that. And he said, a lot of times you'll have other, other symptoms. He even asked, do you have any gut issues? And I did. I had some gut issues, too. I had some issues with never made the link to that and eating vegetables. I, I never made a connection to that until much later. And so uh, right now, because you said you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't release a magazine on your, on your weapon, you're having a lot of, a lot of pain and, and stuff like that. So it got pretty bad. So what yeah. is it like? What is it like today? Uh, now that you switched your diet? Well, it's unreal. Um, and I know everybody has, has, oh, it's a placebo effect. And in a former life, I actually have a degree in clinical psychology. I know all about the placebo effect. I, I know perfectly well about all of that. And uh, some people may say it's a placebo effect. And I, I'm kind of think placebo may be the most powerful medicine known to mankind. If it is, so be it. I don't care. I really don't care. And I don't care that Dr. Baker hasn't done a $25 million double blind study either that the JAMA has approved either. And you'll have that criticism all, all the time. But within a matter of about two weeks, after starting this, the inflammation lessened a lot. And I was able to take, wasn't this exact ring, but I was able to take this ring on and off. And before that would have been, I mean, that would have been cold water, soap, and, and five, five minutes at least, maybe a pry bar. Sometimes I would almost think I need a hacksaw. Didn't have that problem. And in my workouts, and, and I was happy to have such a long recovery time, I would have to make them very, very, very infrequent. Uh, and what I tell somebody, if after you had a, a crushing workout, you know, heavy bench presses to, to failure, deadlift squats, you know how you feel. You've got that, you know, you may have del delayed onset muscle soreness and all that, and you just have this fatigue. And even your central nervous system is fatigued. I said, I would feel like that before I went into the workout. And I don't, I don't know. It just seemed like after I did the workout, it's just like a cascade of inflammation happened all over my body. And if it wasn't for cold showers uh, afterwards, I don't know what I would have done. And I don't like to take medicine. I don't like to take things. But I mean, even uh, even hate to admit this, but you know, so if I get done, I'd have to take a, a naproxen or something just to keep the soreness and be able to train other people. And uh, after, I don't know, uh, I would say after a month, I was actually training at a much higher frequency and was getting almost more, no soreness. And I, and I know this is not indicative of a good workout. Uh, I know people that have trained and done everything and they never get sore. I'm not one of those people generally. And so I was, I'm kind of a sore chaser. I was chasing that soreness and I couldn't find it for a long time. I really could not find it. And I was like, okay, am I not pushing myself hard enough? And I, I was hitting failure. I'd even do a rest pause, you know, go back in and try to hit it a little more. I was doing, I'd have my son or help me with the, or whoever I get to help me with the maybe negative onlys after the fail point, whatever I could do. And I still wasn't getting that soreness. And it was just like, I mean, it felt like I was probably in my uh, mid to late 20s uh, working out again. It was that big of a difference. I noticed my knees weren't hurting. My ankles were not hurting. Uh, I'd had a sciatica pain. And I'd had that. I'd have to go to massage therapist uh, all the time. And 
I would have that constantly it'd be in my just run down my hip. Well, you know, you know what it feels like. And you talk about making deadlifting oh, not very fun. That doesn't make it fun. And it's gone. I have not had one flare up of that since then either. Uh, so it's been totally amazing for me. But no problems with my my hand dexterity. No finger swelling. You got. I don't know if you can sit on the camera there, but I can move my hands. I can snap my fingers. Doing this with somebody who has rheumatoid arthritis is a minor miracle. Snapping the fingers is something I had not been able to do for several years, and that is something I can do with either hand now. Quick question, guys: Is uh, when with people who have like a history of like arthritis type symptoms, and um, is it is like the hands kind of a precursor to like other things starting to bother you down the road, like knees, hips, ankles, and things like that, or is there any any connection there? Or? I'll defer that to Dr. Baker. Mine, in my particular case, was my hands. Um, I did feel it elsewhere. Of course, rheumatoid arthritis actually affects more than just your joints. It affects your cardiovascular system, uh, connective tissue, and other stuff. But let's ask Dr. Baker on that. Yeah, I mean, Zach, it's not necessarily a precursor, but uh, hand involvement in rheumatoid arthritis is pretty hallmark. You know, we see, we, we see uh, very distinct uh, anatomic pathologic changes in the hand where the joints start to uh, almost dislocate, you know, the tendons slip off their attachments. And so it's a lot of soft tissue destruction. So it's a little bit of an interesting uh, thing, but we do see it in, in shoulders, hips, knees, the whole thing, you get a lot of joint replacements, but it's, it's different from osteoarthritis and the way it affects yes. soft, soft tissues. And Mark is correct. You get these things called rheumatoid nodules and it, it, it appears in the skin and there's a whole lot of stuff, but I don't, I don't know that the hand involvement is necessarily always the first thing that happens, but it certainly is, is very common among rheumatoid arthritis. Mark, let me ask you, um, so you've been doing this diet for, I guess, about a year now. Is that, is yes. that right? So, yes. Uh -huh. um, and let me just, outside of the arthritic issues, uh, what other kind of uh, sort of things have you noticed thus far? Definitely workouts are much better. And I know a, a lot of that is from the, the reduction of the inflammation and the pain. That's, that is for sure. But my recovery, so much better. Um, I've been able to stay lean, put on, you know, keep and put on muscle. And again, I know there's some debates on this. I think after you've been training, if you've been doing resistance training for most of your life, your gains you got are pretty much going to be the gains you got. You may make some some small small changes, but you're not going to make huge gains. So I'm not going to say, yeah, I'll put on 15 pounds of muscle. You know, that that no, that's somebody that hasn't been training. But no, I've been been impressed with all of that. Uh, I've actually went back to something that I love. Um, I, I'm nowhere near Zach's level, and I, I, that's not what I'm talking about. But I, I like doing sprint inter intervals. And before, when I would do that, it would just kill me. I mean, it would just kill my back. It would kill my knees and ankles and hips. Uh, so I've been able to put that in, into training now, too. And I, lo I love that. I, I always love doing sprinting and hurdling in, in school and different things like that. Um, as far as sleep, my sleep has gotten better. I'd say if there's of, of any of the things between what I think are three essential things, the proper eating, the proper rest and recovery, and the proper um, um, nutrition, training, I'm sorry, training. I got to mix up there. Uh, the sleep is probably my biggest issue. And I've been working on that. And that has gotten much, much better too. Uh, cognitively, except for just a few seconds ago, I think it's improved uh, quite a bit. Uh, I, don't, I don't see any downside anywhere. Um, I, I know one of the biggest benefits too is on the food that I eat. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Everybody goes, well, don't you get bored of eating steak all the time? No, I don't. I don't. I, I, I look forward to my ribeye 
And I probably 90% of every meal I eat is steak and a lot of times steak and eggs. And I live on a, we have a 225 acre farm here. So we have, we have cattle, we have chickens, uh, we've got, you know, horses and everything's like that. So we've got a lot of that locally sourced here. And uh, so free eggs and I can, you know, get my steak. So I'm, I may have like a little over like about $4.98 a pound. So I pay for a steak. So, you know, I can have a, a nice meal, very, very inexpensive. And you'll hear people say, well, it's so expensive eating carnivore. It's not. It's totally not. They're not including all the pop they're drinking, all the junk food they're eating. Uh, so it, it really has been good. Decision fatigue is gone. I mean, shopping is easy. Our refrigerator looks amazingly clean. I mean, there's, you don't have really anything else in it. Uh, so it's, it's, been, it's been awesome with that. But no downsides. I, I mean, the only, I guess, well, I have to go back. The only downside is maybe you're a little bit more socially awkward uh, in, in, in situations. My friends and family have been awesome, I'll have to say. They all know what I'm doing, they know why I'm doing it. And they don't try to just like, here's a Twinkie or, you know, of course, I never have been a junk food junk anyway, but they understand and they, they try to accommodate quite well. And I always tell people, be upfront, be honest with people. Tell people, look, I'm doing this. You may not understand it, may not want to do it yourself. And that's fine. I, I don't try to pressure anybody into this. Probably isn't for everybody. I'm not saying that it is. You don't say that either. Uh, but they respect you. And if I have a friend that's a vegan, you know, I respect them. And if they want to be vegan, that's great. Yeah, Mark. One thing I think I see where, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's really fascinating to me to kind of watch um, you know, the whole carnivore stuff and then the people who aren't doing it, asking questions, trying to poke holes and all that other stuff, which oh, yes. I think is all, you know, good in the long term, especially when we start to get more, more information. Cause then we have ans questions answered is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the one thing is like what you touched on, it's like, well, don't you, I think that it's probably one of the first things people think like, wow, aren't you going to get sick of eating meat? Aren't you going to get exactly. sick of that same thing over and over again? But like, you know, I was thinking about that the other day and my thought was like, well, one of the other kind of hallmarks of the carnivore diet is you eat until you're full, mm -hmm. you stop, and then you eat again when your body says you're hungry. So from my experience, like when, when my body is actually hungry, when I actually need to be getting some food in and those signals are clear, a lot of things look good. So like, like you're not going to be picky at that point. Yes. So yes. You put a steak, not, not that you, not, not that a nice ribeye steak isn't desirable almost in any scenario, but like, you know, if you, I think when you get someone like Dr. Baker, who he's just going to wait till his body says, feed me, you know, you fry up a, a ribeye and, and that's going to look very, very good. So you don't really, you kind of, it's almost like, uh, if you're not doing it, it's really hard to kind of put yourself in that context. So many people are used to just saying, well, I'm going to eat these three meals a day. I'm going to maybe have these two snacks, maybe have this dessert. So they're constantly introducing food. So they have to stay interested on it. It's like they almost have to like encourage themselves to eat because Absolutely. they're trying to hit these social norms of breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, whatever. And then like if you're doing that, if you're, if you're going to the dinner table, you know, three, four, five times a day, it's like you probably need variety to stay interested in actually eating. Otherwise, you would just probably say, nah, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so right. I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, food has become entertainment. I can't even say the word birthday. And what's the first thing that pops in your head? I mean, birthday cake, you know, birthday, you think you think of all this food, you say anniversary, you think of an anniversary cake. And I mean, it's like anytime if if I got with some friends say, hey, guys, let's uh, let's go up to the movies tonight. The probably the, the one of the top 
questions be, well, where are we going to eat afterwards? You know, it's like we almost put every value we have around eating when we do anything. It's all around that. And we look at a clock. Oh, well, hey, it's time to eat again. Even though you're not hungry, you still eat. Yeah, everything's around right? You go to that movie theater and you're probably eating popcorn, drinking soda and having, you know, a, a box of candy. So then, yeah. then you're going out to eat after that. Yeah. And you probably don't need more food, but you're supposed to eat there. So then you're looking for, yeah, yeah. So then it becomes like, well, what can I, what, what is going to be enjoyable given my, my calorie satiation at the moment? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you know, you, you can't over, well, I, I guess you can, but it's hard to overeat good quality fats and protein. I mean, it is really mm -hmm. hard to just go there, but we know how it is. I mean, you get carbs in front of you, you're going to keep eating and eating and eating until you're literally sick or you can't easily. Mm -hmm. Mark, let me, uh, just a couple questions here. Have you been back to your rheumatologist? Uh, since? No. Okay. Any plans to do that? Just to say, I'll probably go back to my general practitioner. I'll probably go back to Dr. Lee. Uh, I'll probably go back to him and I want to get, you know, I want to get more tests. I want to get some more testing going on. Uh, I want to see how everything's going in that situation or that realm. And, but no, I don't have any plans to, uh, I didn't do anything he wanted me to do. So I don't know if he'd be exactly happy with me and I'm sure it'd be like anything else. Well, you know, what do we see every time on Instagram? I know. What do we see? What do we see on Twitter? What do we see anywhere? Well, I don't, are there any double blind studies to this? I mean, uh, you know, it can't be, it can't be. And so uh, it's kind of like, if there's not an approved study with usually a medication or something, it didn't happen. And I think that's just a total fallacy with our, our medical system today. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, well, let me ask you another question specific yeah. to the diet now, because there's a lot of people. And, and again, I, I'm open to, to, to any of this, but um, are you making an effort to regularly eat certain organ meats and are you eating primarily or strictly grass finished products or what is your, what has been your, your sort of diet strategy thus far? No, uh, I actually do not eat organ meats. I have, I don't care for them. It's just never anything that I have enjoyed to eat. Uh, I don't, I don't like, I know this is heresy in some circles, but I personally do not like the taste of most grass fed animals. Um, and I think people are so, and you, you, you've made great strides trying to get people to understand this. I don't even understand. They, they see these horrible conditions of where cows are kept. They think they've been fed corn their whole life. That's not, that's not the case. My cows on my farm out here, they're on grass almost all of their life. Maybe for a couple of three weeks, we feed them some uh, corn. And I was worried at first about a carryover because we know corn is highly inflammatory. I've not had any trouble with that I, at all. Now, as far as the organ meats, I have been on both sides of the issue, reading this, reading that, and I know you don't, and I know many others that don't. Um, what I, I did a little experiment this summer, and I'm, I just, to be honest with you, I, I don't really, I have never found a way that I enjoy eating beef livers. Um, so I, I, one of my supplement companies, uh, Now Foods, has a uh, beef, uh, Argentinian-derived uh, beef liver powder. And actually, it's not bad. I mean, I can I can gargle that down with some water, flush it down, and it's pretty good. So I did that probably six weeks, was taking a serving of that. Could not tell any difference whatsoever. I mean, I could not tell any difference at all. Uh, so I've stopped doing that, and I may try it again. But in my opinion, I think you would agree with this. Six weeks should be long enough. You should tell some difference. I couldn't. 
And I, I don't see a reason that I need organ meats. Yeah, Mark, I think that's the thing with, with supplements in general. I think there's a lot of supplements that people have bought. And I, I bought them too growing up through the years. Oh, yeah. I probably did nothing for me whatsoever. Nothing. I think, you know, when you do an intervention like whatever, like for instance, this diet, it, it's pretty dramatically noticeable that it's working as you can attest to. And so if you take a supplement and you don't get a pretty significant, obvious effect, then, then I'm, I always question, well, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your money? Exactly. Exactly. You know, if there's something you can demonstrate a reliable, reproducible, obvious, significant effect, then maybe it makes sense. But if it doesn't, then I'm just, I'm just at the point where, you know, there's lots of theories out there. You can, you can, you can look at a biochemistry pathway and make all kinds of claims. Yes. Yes. And, and, but the bottom line is the results, what happens to you and me in, in, in actual practices. Absolutely. Well, I and, think the interesting, Oh, I'm sorry. I was excited. No. The interesting thing too, is like when we, we were talking about this on a previous podcast where um, like dietary interventions, you're dealing with a large like volume of change versus like, introducing like milligrams of like a supplement That's so right. it's like the it it's like you can you can see these like huge improvements um by changing like the, the noticeable ones like wow i i'm sleeping way better at night that's mm -hmm. a huge like you see like that carries over to your energy levels the next day and things like that whereas like you introduce a supplement it's like yeah it gets really hard to differentiate that versus like what we talked about earlier like the placebo effect it does. And I did an experiment a few weeks back and it's kind of funny. I've got all these supplements that I don't take anymore. And so I thought, you know, I'm fixing to do a workout here. I've got about an hour before the workout I'm going to take and it will, I mean, we're not talking about anything crazy. I, I was taking, I took some branch chain aminos. I took a little bit of creatine. Um, I took a um, beta alanine, which is kind of a nitric oxide booster, took that. And the only difference the only difference I could see was I had to go to the bathroom several times that day. So that kind of told me right there, I don't need it. I do not need that. My body did not want that in me. And I, I think so many people chase these magic pills. They, they, they want something, you know, HMB was a big thing several years ago, incredibly expensive. And I would have people come there for whatever reason. Hey, what do you think about HMB? I said, you know, it's probably a one percenter. I said 1% of the people may see 1% difference. And I said that may be 1% good or 1% bad. I said, generally, I think you're, it's a waste of money. And now you can hear these people is that I think they'll take something and it's ingrained in their head and it probably is a placebo effect. It may have did help them with that. But I think most supplements are not needed if you're getting quality food, uh, the proper food. Mark, let's... let's um switch gears a little bit and let's talk a little bit about your training style because i know yes. there there are people that are very the people that do it are like almost like anything like this carnivore diet you get people that do it they become very strong advocates for it and you know they think that that, that may be the best way i you know i do a mixture i do a little bit you know sometimes the stuff i do would be considered hit type stuff but i, but I try I have a lot of variety in my workouts and uh uh, but let's talk about, I know that, what is it, Doug McGuff has written a book basically on this, and I know guys like Mike. Body of Science. Yeah, Mike Mentzer from years ago, the old bodybuilder, that's no, unfortunately, I think he's passed away. But he did. There, there, there are, you know, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the evolution of that uh, that sort of theory and how you see it playing out and what your what your thoughts are around, around hit style training. Well, I think with any theory, you need to claim yours is the only one everybody else is stupid. No, 
<laughs> that I mean, you know, you can look at anything. You can look at the HVT, the high volume guys. I mean, good grief. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a high volume guy. Now, do I think you need to train have two six hour trainings a day? And of course, in the seventies, that was kind of the the method. I mean, it was that ultra marathon style of weight training. Um, Arthur Jones coming out. Uh, I think maybe what is the proper number? What what is? And that was in the the late sixties, and he had been that was been a, been a hobby of his when he was in Africa. He was actually studying human physiology and he was also big into you know gorillas and animals and and tigers and alligators and all that stuff and uh so he was kind of looking at what they did um and he was thinking you know they don't do the things that that we're saying that we need to do and so he actually started conducting studies on this and uh he was having great success with only having maybe two to three workouts in a week versus one every day split body and he was having each session 45 minutes at the most you know usually for most people and later on i mean 20 years after that he was actually thinking even that was too long um mike mincer probably changed a lot of that more than about anybody if anybody's not familiar with mike mincer he is the only bodybuilder ever to get a 300 perfect score in bodybuilding and he was uh won three three times uh, a great thinker uh, he had some personal issues, uh, but just a, a super amazing guy. Um, he uh, is more known now for being the guy that uh, took this young bodybuilder from England, Dorian Yates, and got him from being consistently number three and number two to being, what, seven-time, I'll be seven-time uh, Mr. Olympian. And um, they met by chance in L.A., and he said, he said, what can I do? I always can get two or three. I can't get one. He said, well, let's see what you're doing. He said, you're doing too much. So he was having them do complete, I mean, just crazy type of lifting, but only maybe two sets in a workout. And uh, that's that was what he did. That was what got him up there. Um, so, I mean, Mike Mincer kept changing that, and he did pass away in uh, 2001, a uh, very, very young age. Uh, he was only 49. Had a lot of things going on in his personal life that really didn't help to lead a healthy life. Um, but Mike had wrote several books that uh, at the time, around the time of his death, that really kind of expounded on his, his theory. Dr. McGuff actually took a lot of, of Arthur Jones's, Ken Hutchins, um, and, and Mincer's ideas and kind of compressed them down into something that anybody could, I mean, any person that has a lot of experience or no experience could read the book uh and and kind of see what's going on but basically on high intensity you're looking to go to complete or close to muscular failure um you're usually in a very uh high load um and, and a short uh, volume you're not going to be doing you know 20 different sets of exercises you i mean one workout you may be doing you could be only doing seriously two sets of exercises but now Everybody thinks, well, that's simple. It's not. It, it may be simple, but it's very, it's very hard. It's very hard to get somebody to push yourself into it. Um, I think for most people that train on their own, probably high-volume training may be easier to do. Uh, going to failure is hard to get yourself to be pushed at. And going what we call beyond failure training, it's tough. And I know Arthur Jones has asked, does anybody doing this need a trainer? And he said, no. He said, you certainly don't. He said, if you can place your hand on a table and take a hammer and crack every one of your knuckles and do it repeatedly, you don't need a trainer. And it almost to that point, the, the, the pain, you do have a lot of pain doing this. Uh, it's very exhaustive and it's very hard in your central nervous system to push yourself through that. 
And not every high-intensity trainer, if they go to complete failure, you have different ones, have different ideas on that. Some with Dr. Hutchins, uh, he came up with uh, the super slow method, which I'm, that has not been something that I've, I've been into, um, where they usually do it, like a 10-second push, 10 seconds down. And they do a, usually a lower resistance field um, in, in their movements, but they still go to a, a, a failure or close to failure. The advantage for most people is very quick. Most people can have a workout done in well under 30 minutes, once to twice to maybe three times a week. Um, so that is one of the biggest advantage um, around. I know in some of your bigger cities, St. Louis uh, in this area, I know there's two studios there and a lot of them call it physicians training. A lot of the doctors will actually go there and train because they don't have, you, you understand, I mean, yeah, I know you do a lot of training, but it's, it's tough to find the time to do that. So a lot of your uh, busy professional people, lawyers and stuff, they will go there to train. They get their training done in 20 minutes. They do that once or twice a week. So that is one of the biggest advantages of it. Now for a word from our sponsors. Hey folks, thank you for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Uh, we are very excited to have ButcherBox sponsoring the show. Sean, why don't you tell us about some of your experiences? Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, basically mostly just going with their custom boxes. I've been going with uh, ribeyes and uh, New York strip steaks. They're all uh, grass-finished, antibiotic-free, hormone-free. They're actually pretty decently marbled for a grass-finished product. I've been enjoying it. Lately, I've been throwing it on the on the uh, in the sous vide and then uh, reverse searing or then searing it up in a cast iron pan. That's been pretty darn tasty. I've enjoyed it. Uh, the consistency I found on pretty much every single steak has been very high, very good and very high. Uh, flavor's been good, and I really enjoyed it. I think uh, you know looking around at some of the other competitors and some of the other grass finished products that you might get in the store this is actually a fair bit more economical. And so I think it's a, it's a good value, good quality, and, and, and a very, uh, you know, enjoyable, flavorful uh, way to get your steaks. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Remember, to get your discount and free bacon, type in promo code HPO at the checkout. Now, back to the show. Yeah, you know, I was uh, <laughs> I was listening to a camera, what podcast it was a while ago, and they were they were talking about that. And I think, like, just like the the general like person working out, they just don't know what high intensity actually no. is. Because you'll hear people say like, "Oh, I'm doing 60 second intervals at a high intensity." It's like, no, you're, you're no. not. Like, if, no. if you could handle high intensity for 60 seconds, you I mean, you'd be doing six times, 12 times what was actually capable. Your body's capable of. So I think people don't always understand like, you know, the the high intensity training sessions. There, there there's a reason you can only get like, you know, that short amount of time in a week. Cause it is like, you know, you're putting your body to that. You, you have to get psyched up to do it. Like I couldn't just get up right now and decide, Oh, I'm going to do a high intensity interval. It's like, I'd have to like spend 10 minutes, like talking myself into actually pushing. Exactly. Hard. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, yesterday I did, I did two sets. I did a Romanian deadlift and I did a, a regular deadlift. My total time under load was I think three minutes and some odd seconds. Um, I mean, it, it, it's rough. And I, in my heart rate, just from those two sets, I think my peak measured by my polar uh, monitor was 188 beats a minute. And again, it's very brief that you get, you get that up there. But I mean, like today, I'm feeling it today. I mean, I had a cold shower before the interview. Thank goodness to help with some of the soreness. But I mean, it's just like I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it from my calves up all through my back and my abdomen. 
So, I mean, just, just that brief of a, a workout, the intensity level is there. And when you're done, I mean, you are literally cooked. I mean, you are just like, okay, I need to sit down for a little while. And I, I, I did high volume. I could do high volume and I got sore, you know, I, I'm not saying you don't, but I could do it and I could do all kinds of many reps and sets. And it was different. It's just a different feeling for sure. Hey, Mark, let me ask you. Yes. Um, so, how many, so two questions. Yeah. Uh, how frequently do you train right now? And then, the, and then the other thing is, does your appetite or your food intake sort of mirror your training? Um, and then the other question, you know, one of the things, and this is something, you know, we're still trying to figure all this stuff out with the carnivore diet. A lot of people are saying that the only reason people are getting better is because of, you know, a, a relatively significant caloric restriction. Are you yeah. eating not very much food relative to what you used to eat? And then talk to me about how your diet changes okay. around your training, if, if you can. Okay. Uh, training frequency. Now, again, the high volume people, and I know what you do, this, this sounds crazy, but I train once a week. I do an upper body session and I do a lower body session. Each session is usually two to three different exercises. And I will engage in a rest pause, you know, just give that brief rest so you can fire a few more. If I have somebody to help me, I will do forced reps where they will give a slight pull up or push out, and then I, I take the rest. So I'll try to put in some of those intensifiers, but one, one upper body session per week, one lower body session uh, the next week. So it's every other week, I guess you could say it for, for total body, if that makes sense. Uh, yes, uh, generally after a workout, especially if it is consisting of, uh, and I like to use the hex bar, it's one of my favorite tools. Uh, if I'm doing heavy, heavy deads uh, um, with a hex bar, Usually my appetite spikes quite a bit. Um, back to the training frequency. When I was having all these issues before I went carnivore, I, of course, I was training about twice a week to once a week, and I was just, I was just sore continually. Uh, me and my son were playing paintball or airsoft, airsoft guns. We were doing some combat training there, and we are using airsoft. And being graceful as I am, I was running and we have a barrier to get behind and I was running to get out of the, the line of fire and my hands with the, the airsoft gun hit a barrier and it didn't break my wrist, but it, it damaged it up. Actually, both of them were hurt pretty bad. So I couldn't train for about three weeks. So I went back to training. I wasn't sore much after that besides my, my wrist. I went back. All my numbers were just like, okay, it, is something wrong with the machine? Uh, did I set, set everything right? And I'm like, wow. So then I started spacing my workout just once a week. And then I, I experimented that for a while. And then it got every other week. But I went out. I know this is extreme. But I went out every third week on training. And I know that sounds crazy. But I wasn't able to recover. I mean, I would still have joint pain, unbelievably bad, inflammation throughout the body. So I was actually training at a frequency of once Full body. That's a full body training once every three weeks. So I, I changed that. But yes, my um, hunger does go up quite a bit. No, I'm not eating less. I'm probably eating as much or more than before. Uh, now, I generally just eat one meal a day. And uh, I usually eat a meal. Uh, it depends. I try to eat all my meals before six or seven o'clock. I never eat late. I try to eat that. If I can, I'll eat. If I, if I have a space between clients, I'll try to eat maybe between one and two, two o'clock if I have a space there. I like to get my eating done early. Uh, but no, as far as caloric restriction, no. Now, one place that I know you've heard my, probably 
talking with, with uh, Lawrence Neal, I do fast. And before I went carnivore, I did a lot of fasting. And uh, that was mainly because I could get some relief. But uh, when I went carnivore, I don't fast as long. And I know you call it intermittent feasting. But, I mean, I, I can a lot of times go 36, 48 hours, and I, I'm never hungry. Now, every three to four months, again, I'm a little undecided on this. I mean, you listen to Dr. Rhonda Patrick, and you listen to Dr. Jason Fung, and you listen to some others on the benefits of fasting. I'm a little agnostic. It, do we need to do that if we're carnivore? So I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't think anybody knows that answer. So about every three months to four months, I'll do a five-day water fast only. And I make it. I do my workouts. I do everything. The only thing I'm usually taking is just lots of water. I will take uh, so, uh, Himalayan, pink Himalayan uh, sea salt. And occasionally I'll drink just a little bit of broth. But I have no problems. Uh, the only, only problem I have with that is at night, and I'm very hot-natured. I'm just the opposite. I'm like my wife. I'm very cold-natured from that. But that's that's my regiment. But as far as reducing my calories down, no. I'm keeping my calorie level up pretty high. Generally, a meal will consist of a very large uh, ribeye and anywhere from six to as many as 10 of our farm eggs. So that's, not, that's a pretty high cook calories right there. I'm 170 to 178 pounds where I range at and I'm six foot. So, you know, I'm not a super huge guy, but. Yeah. When you say ribeye, are we talking like a 20 ounce, 24, 16? I mean, cause I'm just trying to think calorically. Yeah. We're talking about a 20, 20 ounce and very high fat. I mean, where we get ours at, it is incredibly high fat and they're, they're at least a 20 plus ounce uh, ribeye. So it's, yeah. So we're looking at, that's probably 1,500 calories if it's fatty. Yeah, and, and 1,500 is, is somewhere around there. because it, it, It's one of the highest fat ribeyes I've ever seen. I, and, I love them. Yeah, then, then 10 eggs or so is probably another 500, what, 500 calories? So yeah. A couple thousand yeah. calories a day. Yeah, I'm getting probably 2,000 calories a day. And, you know, there's some days after a workout, um, I may be up to as many as 3,000 calories. If, if I'm, if, again, I just, you know, like you say, Eat when you're hungry. Eat till you're full. Don't eat when you're not hungry. And how, how much more simpler than that? I mean, who wants to count macros? I mean, really? Is that what we want to spend our day on is on my fitness pal counting macros? I got better things to do. Well, there's a lot of people like to do that. <laughs> I don't know how effective it is ultimately. I mean, for some people, it's effective too. So you can't. They do. I think, I, think it's a, I think it's almost like people like to be on a scale all the time. And the only time I count calories, I'll have some of my clients, okay, how many calories do I need to be getting? And so occasionally I will count calories, but I, I absolutely hate it. I, I am a over tracker anyway. So I, that's one of the things I've worked on the last year, trying to over track. I, I use my aura ring I got right here. I, I got the new one. Love it. Uh, I use that, but used to, I had to track every little thing and that, that almost becomes a neurosis. No, I think there, I agree with that. A lot of people get anxiety around they do. looking at a number, checking, checking a little, you know, whatever they, Oh yeah. <laughs> checking. Yeah, their my body fat, I, had, I had to check it, you know, every, every few days I had to check my body. Oh crap. It went up half a percentage. What did I do wrong? You know, and good grief. You have a, with, with a skin caliper as accurate as they are, you know, you could have any kind of little situation change what your reading is going to be. And uh, that's really a little bit nonsensical. So I try to do that as much. Let me, let me ask you, so as, a, so as you train clients, have you had anybody that you've trained that has introduced this into their diet or is this something you kind of avoid or what's, what's going on with, with that sort of thing? 
Well, the good thing, evolution of, of how we think about things is health. I mean, a few years back, telling a client to go ketogenic was heresy, too. I mean, it was like, oh, well, no, my doctor's told me I've got to stay off butter. I can't eat fat, you know, and all this. So that has kind of got more mainstream. And I think you going on the Joe Rogan show broke the levees uh, for a lot of, lot of things. Uh, I am surprised how many people have awareness of it. I started a Facebook group, Mark's Health and Nutrition Group, uh, on Facebook. And it's a closed group. If anybody wants to join, you join. It's, it it kind of helped. It was mainly just for my clients and and friends and family that were interested in it. I think we have you know not not as many as World Carnivore, but we have like twenty one hundred people there. And uh, you know, people are aware of it. now. Not saying that all those people agree with it. They don't. But at least they are aware of it and they're seeing it. And I have so many posts that you put on on Meat Heels. Uh, I'll put on there they'll see these people that are getting healthier. And again, it's always your body wants to get healthy first. The weight loss will come second. I would say out of my clients, um, I probably have, oh, I would say a good 10, 10 of them that are full strict carnivores. I would say almost all of the others, except for just a few that don't for whatever reason, are very carnivorous they're probably in that keto realm but they're in a very carnivorous state and a lot of them will do it well i'm gonna i've got a vacation coming up i got one that's just in hawaii right now hope you're having fun brandy uh and she went pretty strict carnivore uh for about six weeks before and it, it was just amazing it was just absolutely amazing so i think they're seeing it i've been trying to get this more mainstream and, and of course lawrence snell's done the the best job on corporate warrior to getting the hit community involved in this and i've talked to other trainers a lot of them thought it was crazy uh they traditionally come from a high carb mentality most of them in in, in our organization mike Mentor was a high carb guy too but even dr doug mcguff he's changing his his views on this my friend uh doug holland and doug's uh you, you know who i'm talking about actually i got doug's shirt on today right there uh <laughs> doug's in shreveport louisiana intelligent exercise and he had real major issues with psoriasis all over his scalp. I said, hey, Doug, look, this is what I'm doing. I know it sounds crazy. He said, I hate vegetables. I hate them anyway. He lives right there by He loves to fish. And he said, is fish okay? I said, fish is great. So he eats primarily fish and beef. And within about four or five weeks, the psoriasis is gone. He's not even taking his medication now. He's had several of his clients uh, that has gone on. He's got one guy now that is I think 70 some pounds, John's the name of that, that is went carnivore. Um, the clients that I've had that have went carnivore have had their best results, period. I mean, there's no comparison to doing keto or any other way of eating that I've seen. And I've helped people that I've done nutritional counseling to. There's a guy in Canada that asked me about carnivore, uh, almost a year ago and he had been keto and, uh, Anyway, I'll, I'll, he, he has just done amazing, and he's very, very, very uh, socially backward. He doesn't like to ever – I don't think I'll ever post a picture. I'm trying to get him to work up the curse but he has lost 209 pounds at the, at the last deal. He started out at 479 pounds, and uh, he has just done absolutely amazing. Now, that is without any working out. Uh, he has not done any, been able to work out. His joints have been so bad. He's, he's not, a, not an older guy. He's a younger guy, but he's just been a, a morbidly obese for many years. And he tried everything his doctors have told him. Nothing has helped. Surprisingly, his doctor is all for this. He, he told him, he said, if this is working for you, I have no problems with it. 
and he hasn't been on them at all about, you know, this is unhealthy and everything like that. He says, at the states you were in, you were going to have to do something or you were going to have a major medical issue. Hey, Mark, just uh, other than weight loss, I mean, because you said you know, the clients you've had that have done it have gotten their best results. Are we talking about body composition, strength type stuff, or can you give us an example of what that might be? Actually, about everything. As Most of my clients, I would say the majority, they're there to be healthy. Uh, I live in an area where we have a lot of retirees, and I have a lot of older clients. I have some clients in, in, in their 80s, uh, mid-80s, and I've got several in their 70s, several in their 60s. So they're obviously not trying to get there to, you know, hey, I want to wear a bikini. You know, that's probably not what their, their motivating goal is. Uh, I do have some younger clients that is their motivating goal, and we've seen results on both. Most of my older clients, they want to stay functional as long as possible. I've got uh, a lady who is a minister, and uh, she was said she was in her early 70s. Said I, I'm not able to move my flower pots in when the frost is about to start. She told me the other day said I moved all those by myself. Did not have to call anybody to come help. I wasn't even sore afterwards. So I mean that may not seem like something important to you know the 20 and 30 year old crowd. But let me tell you. That's what keeps you independent. That's what keeps you out of a rest home. That's what keeps you healthy. I'm not saying we're going to live to be 120. I don't know if I'd even want to live to 120. Uh, if I'm healthy, that would be one thing. But you want to live with as much independence and functionality as possible for as long as you can. Whether that's 80 years or 120 years, you want it to be functional. You don't want to be the last 10, 20 years of your life, you're an invalid. I mean, that's not anybody's to-do list. So I, I would say that has been the most part is just to see that. Um, I have got some clients that just amazing weight loss and just transform their body through eating keto and carnivore and, and the working out. And that's, that's rewarding. It's all rewarding to see that. It, it really, really is. And I've got a, a younger lady that has just started. She's just 16 and had huge problems with obesity her whole life. And she realizes, and her mom has been encouraging her, she realizes that she's going to have a lot of health problems. She's going to be facing diabetes and, and everything at, at, at this age. So she has been, and she's, she's really, the only thing she's not, is being exactly right, she's not enjoying the lack of variety, but she's just starting to. This has only been a few, about five or six weeks, but she's doing really good adapting to meat and eggs. So it's good to see people transform their lives and to feel better and to be more functional. And if vanity gets somebody training and eating better, I'm all for vanity. I don't see anything wrong with that because a lot of times that is the, the driving uh, and, and motivating factor for people to actually seek health. But later on, it gets to be more about functionality and not being a pain. Yeah. And I think like the thing that a lot of times gets overlooked with, with this stuff too, is like you, what you were mentioning, it's like there's a quality of life component as well as a longevity component. Um, it's like longevity doesn't do you any good if you're in pain the whole no. time. It's like, the no. it's actually probably worse. It's like getting a longer cell sentence. If you're constantly in physical, physical pain, like why would you want to live to be 90? No. <laughs> so. That's absolutely right. <laughs> and you see so many people that they, I mean, I don't want to blame everybody, but there, a lot of people put themselves in these situations. They don't take care of their bodies at all. They don't take any responsibility for their health. And then they get up there and it's like, oh, now what am I going to do? And they're looking for somebody to fix them. And that goes back to, I want a doctor to fix me. I want to walk into a health food store and I want to take a magic pill to fix me. I want to sign up with this multi-level company that they promised me I want to make a million dollars and not have to work and 
when I take some magic supplement and I'm, I'm, I, I lose weight, I look better. You know, it's just crazy stuff that people want this, this easy solution. And I really don't think eating properly, and you don't have to be perfect. We don't want to let the, uh, the good be destroyed by being perfect. You know, that, that's not what we want. But just being good on your eating and just taking care of yourself. Uh, do we have to train like you or Dr. Baker? Do we have to train even like myself? No. Just even some moderate exercise and getting some, uh, some good rest and recovery. That's all it really takes. It doesn't take a lot. And I think so many, so many people use that either as an excuse. Well, I'm not going to do the crazy things that Dr. Baker or Zach Bitter does. You don't have to. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to do that. You can get and train just moderately just to keep functionality. And you don't, do you have to eat a steak every day? Do you have to give up all your, your stuff you like? Probably not. Uh, for most people, just modifying their diet to get out a lot of the toxicity, get out the omega-6 oils, uh, get out many of the, the junk out of your life, get out the soda pops and the easy stuff, and then try to tighten that circle up and then try to maybe go to a more meat-centric diet and I think that would help people a lot just right there. Getting enough sleep would help people. Yeah, and, and, and I'll add to, I've said this before, but like there's nothing heroic from a health standpoint about running 100 miles. <laughs> it's, it's an uphill battle from a health standpoint, I think. It's like, I think movement is great. I think uh, aerobic fitness is great. Um, but uh, you're definitely looking at kind of going past the margin of diminishing returns with, uh, you know, health and stuff like that when you're especially trying to do some of that ultra marathon stuff at, a, at your peak potential, I guess. So, um, you know, it's actually what got me interested in nutrition in the first place was like, I kind of realized, you know, I'm asking an awful lot out of my body. And it's also one of the more interesting talking points I'll have with people because sometimes, you know, you'll just be kind of joking around. They'll be like, wow, look at your training and running, you know, this far, like you must be able to eat whatever you want. And I kind of think about that. It's like, no, it's actually kind of the opposite. The opposite. Like, right. Cause like if I, if I eat whatever I want, I feel horrible and then I'm not able to do the training I want to do Absolutely. or recover from it. So That's right. <laughs> you have to even be more, more dialed in. I think when you start getting up into that, you know, especially that last couple percentages of training where like you're trying to move from just being fit to being peaked for a specific event, it's like you got to pay super close attention to all those things, sleep, recovery, nutrition, all that stuff. Yeah, every little bit gives you a, a percentage of an advantage. And for you setting the records you have and for Dr. Baker doing the things he have, you need every advantage you have because it's, it's, it's just a small amount of difference between setting a record or not setting a record. It's just a small, mm -hmm. small, small percentage of a difference. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what Zach does and arguably what I do is maybe some people might even consider it a mental health disorder, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, but, I mean, you know, you do. I some, admire both of you guys. Yeah, no, you do, you do make some sacrifices and it's kind of weird because you kind of take some pleasure in pushing yourself. And there's exactly, like, just to see what you can endure. I mean, well, yeah. it's kind of neat to see where that outer limit is of human performance and what you can do to get there. Yeah, it is kind of, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes I question my sanity some days, but I ask you, um, where do you see uh, this sort of thing evolving? I know obviously this carnivore diet, some people say it's a fad diet. It's going to, you know, it's going to supplies in Japan. It'll be gone. It'll be gone in a year. Do you think that's going to be the case? Do you think we'll be talking about this in 2020 or do you think it's going to be, uh, or, 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 or as I think 
you know, because I think it's so effective. And I think with yeah. social media, the results are going to, you know, the, the cream's going to rise to the top. And if it works, it works. So where, where do you see it going? And are you getting much sort of backlash from the, the people locally or either in your social media circles against this? You know, it's, it's hard to know. I think, I think one thing, people are seeing the results. One of my clients who is, was very, very concerned. I mean, she was generally concerned with my health. She just begged me not to do this. She just said, Mark, I don't think this is a good idea. And her daughter's a vegan. She's a very, very high level uh, or low level meat eater. She eats just a slight amount of meat. And she was really generally concerned for my health. And she told me, I don't know, maybe in June or July, I said, Mark, I want to tell you something. I said, your skin looks great. I said, I can tell you feel better. And I said, it's just amazing what you can do with your hands. I said, you just are in a better mood. You just, you just, everything about you just seems better. It says, I am so glad for you. So I don't think I could ever do it, but I am just so glad for you. And said, it works. I said, I'm just, just happy. You know, that made me feel really good. Most of the people locally have been great. There's, I know there's several that are questioning my sanity too, but hey, there's nothing new there. Now, social media, that's a different deal. I, I had a, a lady uh, from Australia. I don't remember the name now. And she had put on there, you may have seen that she put that she cured her rheumatoid arthritis through becoming a vegan. And she on there and I congratulated her. And I said, you know, great. I, I was really happy for her. And she saw my profile and she just went off on me and told me I was a liar and I couldn't have cured this through eating meat. Meat's what causes rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, it's on and on. I'm like, really? I mean, it, I mean, I, I can't imagine this, but if you have some horrible disease and you found out that going to Krispy Kreme donuts is what cured you and you seem to be healthy and functioning, Hey, I, I don't see how it works, but if it works for you, I'm happy. You know, I'm not going to criticize you for it. it. I don't understand it, but I don't understand why people get so hostile. I think the carnivore community, and you have largely led this. I know you're not the pioneer of it. You say that, and, and you never have even tried to say you were. Uh, but I think you have spearheaded this current movement, this current adoration of it. I think you're a disruptor. I think we all have, have disrupted the paradigm away from fat is bad, too much protein is bad, eating meat is bad, eating butter is bad, you know, salt is horrible for you. You've got to have your cholesterol in this parameter. You've got to live your life by what a blood test tells you. You've got to live your life by what the, the nutritional guidelines are. I think we have disrupted that. Uh, an analogy to me is uh, Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck left Fox News, one of the highest rated shows. He left it. And this was back in maybe 2009 or 10, somewhere in there. And he said, I'm going to go to a digital platform and do everything there. And everybody goes, what an idiot. You can't do TV shows from a digital platform. Guess what? He won the Disruptor Award of the Year a few years after that. Now you have everybody doing that. And I think it's like what the old saying, at first you criticize it. Is that, how's it go? At first you criticize it, then you, you know, you demonize it and ridicule it and then you embrace it and i think we got a lot of people that's going to embrace this but i don't know about the actual old establishment of the doctors that are tied to the pharmaceutical reps they're practicing medicine by pharmaceutical reps and that's horrible but i think we're seeing you we're seeing uh others that are breaking away from this dr ted Naaman, uh dr eldridge and and others that are more into what you call functional medicine and hopefully the disruption will have their patients 
demanding this. I'm, I'm hoping that this happens. Dr. McGuff wrote, wrote a book um, uh, called Primal Medicine, and it kind of talks about some of that right there. We have to actually take responsibility for our own health care. We've got to look into this and not just simply rely on what we're being told by the orthodoxy. So maybe, maybe there, there's hope that this will be a, a mass movement because we see in England, we see even here, you've got the government. They're wanting to put a meat tax. Oh, they're blaming this on global warming. I mean, I'd like to have a theory that proves it. It doesn't matter if it's cold. It doesn't matter if it's, it's windy. It doesn't matter if it's rainy. It's hot. It's global warming. It's man-made global warming. You know, it, it's all man-made. Uh, anything that happens, too much rain, too less rain, the crops are good, the crops are bad, whatever. So they, they're trying to blame that now on, you know, meat consumption. So if we get rid of that, here you look at probably the highest level of it is, is agriculture. But they totally don't look at that. Um, they don't look at maybe the ethanol production and how inefficient that is. Uh, from corn. So there's so many things that the orthodoxy, whether it be by the medical establishment, uh, government, uh, of course, we have the militant vegans. That's nothing new. They're always there. They're a small, small but powerful group. I think maybe empowered a lot through Loma Linda and different places like that that put out a lot of studies. And I think it's being pushed by the World Health Organization. So we get a lot of that pushback for, from this. And I, I think when you have a, a several people that are seeing results, you have uh, Dr. Peterson, Michaela Peterson. You see those that, have, that are kind of getting the message out. Um, I think it's, it's breaking through. I, I'm hoping it is. Yeah, I think too, like we talked about this with Dr. Unwin on uh, um, the podcast was like, you know, this return to like the general practitioner versus like having all these specialists that who yes. are like, I'm a specialist in taking care of just this one thing. It's like we're kind of, we're, we're, we're treating, we're trying to treat the symptom rather than, than the cause. So I think like as people get more interested in lifestyle medicine, you know, we'll start to see people go into being general practitioner, like starting their own things. And we're seeing that with guys like Ted Naiman, um, where they're doing what they actually wanted to do originally, helping people. And, you know, when someone comes in rather than saying, okay, I've got 10 minutes with you. What's the quickest way we can remove the pain and get you out and get the next person in? Um, which sounds like an incredibly unfulfilling <laughs> op exactly. occupation. You know, you have someone come in and sit down and say, well, what are you interested in doing? So let's look at your activity. What are you interested in eating? So let's look at that. And it's kind of unpacking the whole thing and try to, you know, work with the person and their interests versus like, this is the only way you can do it, take it or leave it, and then have them walk out feeling kind of defeated. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's very, very defeating with that when those are the options. Mark, guys, I got to go up to LAX and, okay. and raise my strength level and get in traffic here. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, I tell you, it's wonderful having you on because you've got, you know, just the perspective of, you know, curing a quote unquote incurable disease and, and then all the other, you know, fitness stuff behind us. It's been a great conversation and we really look forward to getting this out there. Mark, tell us where people can get a hold of you uh, in, in the virtual world. Yes, uh, I am on Facebook, uh, so they can see me there. Uh, my health group is called uh, Mark's Health and Nutrition uh, Group, and uh, anybody, they can send a request to join. Uh, they can find me on Facebook. I don't care. I mean, it's, uh, I'm there. They can look under Mark 
and then capital N, Lori, L-O-R-I, and then my last name, S-T-R-O-U-G-H. Uh, I am on uh, Twitter, and I am on uh, Instagram. Just look under Mark Strau, and that's S-T-R-O-U-G-H. And if anybody wants to shoot an email, it's mwstrau at gmail.com. Awesome, Mark. Uh, like Sean said, thanks for coming on. Um, I appreciate it. Look forward to getting this one out. Uh, have a good rest of the day. Well, guys, thank you. Thank you for all you do. You are doing a great work there. You, you guys are doing a great work, and I appreciate being on here. Enjoy all your stuff, and wish you all continued success. Uh, likewise, Mark. Keep thanks. Work. All right, Take guys, care. I got a job. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.